May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. Happy Easter. Thank you. My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship, and I'm really glad that you're able to make it today uh, here on Easter Sunday morning. Um, Because the deal is, uh, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's actually only two holidays that are celebrated the world over. Only two. Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter. And this weekend, millions of people all over the world will gather in churches, big and small, old and new, traditional and contemporary, for one purpose. To celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is so incredibly important because the resurrection provides proof that Jesus is the Son of God and that he can provide forgiveness of sins. That his claims of what he did on the cross are actually true. That's what the resurrection proves. And so today is the perfect Sunday to kick off our brand new series, Evidence that God exists. And listen, before I continue with any of my opening arguments, arguments this morning, I want to say uh, welcome to our jury this morning. Thanks, guys, for coming and helping us out today. Uh, you get like a front row seat to the, all the action. Um, no, no falling asleep up here. Everybody will know. So be careful with that. Uh, <laughs> um, listen, have you ever seen a TV show or a movie that has got like a, that's got like a really good court scene? All really good court scenes uh, they're all really the, have the same thing in common, that the, the case seems to all be going one way, and then someone introduces some new evidence, often it like great surprise to everyone there, and it totally swings the case the other way. Well, in this series, each week, I want to introduce some new evidence, Evidence that perhaps that we've never considered. Maybe even evidence that we've never known anything about that would swing the case the other way for the existence of God. Because here's the deal. If God is real, then that changes everything. And really, it changes it for the better. Because if God is real... Our marriage changes, our parenting changes, our habits change, our level of happiness changes, our levels of worry and anxiety changes, our self-esteem changes, and on and on and on. Pretty much everything changes. Now, this morning, I brought with me two bars, okay? Let's call these the bars of belief. Okay, And the gap in the middle of these two bars is a gap of information. Maybe it's misinformation. Maybe it's a lack of information. And so what a lot of people think is, is that in order to believe in God, that you have to... Thank you. I must, I I actually did practice that, by the way. (laughs) A lot of people think that you have to take some gigantic leap of faith. 
But here's the deal. In this series, my desire is to give you enough information to close that gap significantly so that for you, it now just becomes a step of faith. That believing in God just becomes a step of faith, not some gigantic leap of faith. Now, let me pause right here and say two things. Here's the first. This is meant, all this information is meant to be taken in in an entire series, okay? It's not supposed to be taken in as just one message, okay? Um, You know, no one would go to a trial and only listen to one-fifth of the evidence and then offer a verdict. You know, no jury would ever listen to 20% of the evidence and then offer a verdict. And so, neither should you. And so don't just come to one message, come to the entire series and listen to all of the evidence before you offer any kind of a verdict, okay? And I promise you, if you will come to this this entire series, by the time we get to the end, there will be enough clear and strong evidence that any open-minded, reasonable person would determine that God does in fact exist beyond any reasonable doubt. Second thing I want to say to you is that um, when we're talking about this series, that if you expect me to give you some like fingerprint evidence of God or like a DVD of him hanging out in heaven and what he looks like on his throne, like that is just simply not going to happen, all right? That's not going to go down. However, we will discover in this series that there is a preponderance of evidence, of clear evidence, compelling evidence, convincing evidence that God is indeed real. And then again, taken as a whole, it will prove God's existence beyond any reasonable doubt. Which brings us to our message here today. A message about Easter evidence. You see, Easter is the story about how Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross and then he was risen from the dead. Excuse me, I'll move this back over here. And then he was risen from the dead. Now, if a man claimed to be the son of God and said that God is going to raise me from the dead and then three days later, like it doesn't happen, then all of us would say, well, yeah, I knew that was probably not going to happen. But if three days later he actually does rise from the dead, then by that very same token, we would be compelled to believe that he actually is the Son of God. Or at least give it some serious, serious consideration. See, that's what Easter's all about. It's all about how Jesus Christ died on a cross, and then three days later, God raised him from the dead. Now, for some people in this room, the whole verdict about Jesus and God and Christianity is still out. They haven't really decided if all this stuff is really true. For others in this room, they've already been convinced. But either way, if 
we come to the place where we realize that Jesus Christ was indeed raised from the dead, then that alone provides clear and compelling evidence that God himself exists because it was God who raised Jesus from the dead. Look what the Bible says. Look at our first verse of scripture here this morning. It's printed there for you in your bulletin. So if you, uh, so go ahead and pull out your message notes. It's in Acts 10, beginning of verse 39. It says, we saw all that Jesus did in Judea and in Jerusalem, but he was killed. They put him on a cross made of wood. But on the third day after his death, God raised him to life and let him be seen openly. So, what is this Easter evidence that proves that God exists? Well, exhibit A is this, is that Jesus actually died. Jesus actually died. Now, I know, it might seem a little silly to, you know, start here because, I mean, if, but the deal is, is that if Jesus never actually died, then he certainly didn't rise again from the dead, now did he? But we know Jesus actually died for the following reasons. Here's the first. It's because early writers and historians, both Christian and non-Christian, for example, Josephus, Tacitus, Lucian, they all confirm that Jesus actually died on a cross. Next, his death was verified by hundreds of witnesses and passers-by. The fact that he was dead three days precludes that he could have, you know, just been unconscious. Next, his tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers, preventing anyone from sealing his body, and then just saying that he rose from the dead. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 27, verses 63 through 65. Sir, they said, that they are, you know, Roman soldiers and people were, that were concerned that um, the disciples were going to try to fake the resurrection of Jesus. And they're talking to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, the guy who's in charge. They said, sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. Now, first, notice, they never brought up the subject of, you know, well, you know, we're not really sure Jesus is actually dead. No, they knew he was dead. They just wanted to make sure that his resurrection couldn't be faked. <laughs> and the irony is, is that they actually provided ironclad proof that the resurrection was genuine. Because no one could have gotten to the tomb to steal the body because they couldn't have gotten past all of the soldiers. And so in their efforts to prevent a fake resurrection, they actually proved that the resurrection was 100% genuine. And you know what all that does? It takes this bar... And it moves it just a little bit closer. But also consider exhibit B. 
Exhibit B is this. Jesus was seen by more than 500 people after he rose again. He was seen by more than 500 people after he rose again. Now, what if in those days the disciples had said to the people, they said, hey, you know what? We've seen Jesus. We've seen him. And the people said, well, can we see him too? And the disciples said, no, you can't really see him. But we can see him, but you can't see him. To which we would go, oh, right. You can see him, but we can't. Absolutely. We wouldn't even think that was reasonable. We, we certainly wouldn't believe it at that point, now would we? No. But that didn't happen, now did it? Look what the Bible says. Check out this next verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning second half verse 3, it says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Now look, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, that ought to be a pretty easy hoax to uncover. I mean, how in the world are you going to get 500 people to coordinate their story and get all the details right. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my brother and I, we could, could, couldn't get our own story straight when we lied to our parents, and we got busted almost every time. How in the world are you going to get 500 people to agree on the same story? And look, you've got to remember, the religious leaders and the Roman officials of the day were doing everything they could to try to discredit Christianity. And so even if even just one of these 500 people can't get the details of the story right, and they end up admitting, yeah, you know what, we got together and we just made this whole thing up, then the resurrection of Jesus and Christianity just falls apart on the spot. But that didn't happen, despite the opponent's best efforts and that the fact that 500 people give verifiable eyewitness testimony that they've seen Jesus alive after his death gives clear and compelling proof that Jesus is resurrected, and that he is the Son of God. And do you know what that does? That takes this bar, and it moves it that much closer. Now look at Exhibit C. Exhibit C is this. The disciples would not have suffered for a lie. You know, when your kids are lying and you want to get them to admit it, what do you do? You make the, the consequence for maintaining the lie much greater than the consequence for what they originally did. You know, I mean, in my house, if you lie about something, the consequence for lying about it is way worse than the consequence of whatever it is that you originally did. Using that same principle, when the 
original disciples, you know, minus Judas, when they were all finally rounded up, they were each given a choice. Suffer an immensely painful and torturous death or admit that Jesus didn't rise from the dead and be set free. That was the choice. Suffer an immensely painful and torturous death or just admit that he wasn't the son of God, wasn't wasn't resurrected, and just be set free. That's what the choice. Now, here's how the disciples died. Listen, now as I go through this, I want you to think, if I were in their shoes, and I had indeed made all this stuff up, then would I go through that kind of suffering knowing that I was going to die at the end? Or would I just admit it? And then just be set free. Here's how the disciples died, according to historians, okay? Here's the first. James, sometimes known as James the Greater, and why we say greater, it just means that he was older. It doesn't mean that he was, like, taller or, like, great or anything like that. James the Greater was the first disciple to be martyred. He was beheaded. He was beheaded. Uh, The historian, uh, Clemens Alexandrinus, wrote that as James was being led to his execution... His extraordinary courage so impressed one of his captors that his, one, that captor fell before on his knees before the, impo- uh, the apostle, begged his forgiveness, admitted that he was a Christian too, and they were both beheaded. Philip was scourged and then crucified. Scourged means that he was whipped within an inch of his life. Matthew was pinned to the ground and then beheaded. James, the lesser, just means that he was younger, he was thrown from the roof of the temple. That's the same place where Jesus was tempted by the devil. And then when the fall did not kill him, they smashed his head in with a club. Matthias, this guy was Judas's replacement, he was stoned and then beheaded. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross, which then became known as St. Andrew's cross. Peter, when sentenced to be crucified, He requested to be crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Bartholomew was beaten and then crucified. Thomas was run through with spears and then thrown into an oven. You might know him as as doubting Thomas, but it's clear that he doubted no longer. James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, he was stoned. Now, although this James was not one of the original 12 disciples, honestly, I think his commitment to follow Jesus is actually more convincing than anybody else. Because look, after all, how hard is it to convince your brother that you're the son of God, right? I mean, how hard would that be? And the fact that his brother believes that he's the son of God and that his brother would follow him to his own death, how clear and compelling is that? Look, and and all of these men were given a chance to save their lives if they would just admit that Jesus had not risen from the dead. None of them took it. Not one. Now, I don't know about you, I do believe in Jesus. If I was facing some of this stuff, I would be tempted to lie and say I wasn't. If 
the story was not true, these guys would have certainly admitted it. And so the fact that they were willing to suffer is proof that they knew beyond any reasonable doubt that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that he was the son of God, that he was real, that God is real. And that, my friends, is what Easter is all about. And you know what that does? It moves this bar just a little bit closer. Now I want to take a moment and I want to talk to two groups of people in the room. First, I want to talk to those of you who are already Christ followers and that you're already convinced that Jesus is who he says he is and you've made a commitment to follow him. Here's the deal. If these men were willing to follow Jesus to their death, would you be willing to follow him with your life? Because the truth is, you're probably not going to be facing torture and certain death if you would only renounce Jesus. That's probably not going to happen. But with these men, Jesus was the central focus of everything in their life. And for you, should your commitment be any less? And if Jesus is the central focus of your life, then perhaps it's time to make some changes. Perhaps it's time to stop being the one that always criticizes and being the one that always compliments. Maybe it's time to start getting serious about addressing that addiction that you have. Maybe it's time to take a little bit more seriously your efforts to get some self-control over your temper or to gain some self-control over your eating habits or your driving habits or um, how you lose your cool at the drop of a hat. You see, Jesus was at the center of these men's lives. And so he asked us to do the same. Look, Jesus is not just an activity to be checked off once a week. He's supposed to be at the center of every decision, every habit, every part of your life. I mean, for heaven's sake, he's the savior of the world. He's the son of God. And he loves you. And he wants you to love him back by following him with all your heart. That's what Easter's all about. Look, Jesus was such a high priority for these men, and so likewise, he should be a high priority for us. But unfortunately, there's quite a few Christ followers that say that Jesus is a high priority, but they've never followed through with even obeying Jesus on the little stuff. Like baptism, for instance. I'm not talking about being christened as a baby. That wasn't a decision that you made. That was a decision that your parents made for you. Baptism in the Bible is when you choose to be baptized after you believe in Christ as a decision that you make in following him. I mean, have you followed through with being baptized? What about being a member of a church? I mean, if you go to church here regularly, have you joined? Are you a member here yet? Look, these men were willing to be known as followers of Jesus. 
Would you be willing to be known as a member of his church? What about just attending church regularly? You know, on any given weekend, we have about 2,200 people that come to church here. However, in a month's time, we have about 3,500 people that attend church at this place. That means that on any given weekend, there's about 1,300 people that should be here that aren't here. I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty high number to me. So make a commitment to go to church regularly. Don't wait till next Easter to come back. Don't wait till next month. Come back again next week. Now, let me talk to those in the room that are not Christ followers yet, or maybe that you're not sure that you're, not, you're a Christ follower. Look, here's the deal. No one's asking you to take a giant leap of faith. Hopefully you've heard enough this morning that even for you, that that has closed that information gap at least a good way. But here's the deal. There's always going to be a step of faith. But it's just a step. Because look, there is a mountain of historical evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And it's verifiable evidence. In fact, the most plausible evidence explanation for why Jesus was able to rise from the dead is that God raised him from the dead and therefore God is real he exists and if that is true then you have a decision to make are you going to accept Jesus or are you going to reject Jesus God's giving you an entire lifetime to make that one decision. And the deal is, not to decide is to decide. So are you going to accept Jesus and his free offer of forgiveness? Look, he died on a cross so that he could forgive you of all of your sins. He paid the penalty for your sin. And so he offers you forgiveness for everything you've ever done. Will you accept it? That's what Easter is all about. That is the whole point of Easter. Because the deal is, because Jesus died, he paid the price for your sins. In order to go to heaven, the deal is, you have to go sin-free. You have to go sin-free. Being good doesn't cancel out being bad. Sins have to be forgiven. They cannot be made up for. And the only one that is able and willing to forgive you is Jesus Christ and he offers you that chance right now. So here's what I want us to do. I want everybody in the room, bow your head and close your eyes. Everybody, I want anybody looking around. Everybody, bow your head and close your eyes. Everybody, go ahead and do it. Now look, if you've never become a Christ follower and you're ready to make a decision to do that right now, then there's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. You can even open your eyes. If you're not a Christ follower and you want to make that decision, you can open your eyes and read that prayer right now. But here's the deal. I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer. What's going to happen is I'm going to say it out loud, phrase by phrase, and then I want you to pray it silently just right where you sit. But here's what I do want you to do. 
If you're ready to pray that prayer to become a Christ follower right now for the first time in your life, and you're going to pray it silently, phrase by phrase after me, what I do want you to do is I want you to make eye contact with me if you're going to pray that prayer right now. In fact, so just because the room's so big, I want you to just slip your hand up in the air so I can find you quickly and make eye contact with me until I make eye contact with you. If you want to pray this prayer for the first time, just, just quietly slip your hand up in the air until I make eye contact with you. Do that right now. All right, you in the back, I see you. All right. First time, you never prayed this prayer before, and you're ready to do it right now for the first time. Really? That's amazing. Awesome. Put your hand down. That's great. That's impressive. Somebody else. First time in your life, you're willing to pray this prayer. Never prayed it before. Put your hand up until I make eye contact with you. Who else? Just slip it up until I make eye contact with you. Who else is ready to make that, pray that prayer for the first time? You ready? Awesome. All right. You can put your head down. Fantastic. Who else? Now's your chance. All right, for those of you that, that did that, I'm going to repeat this prayer, and you just pray it after me, phrase by phrase, silently to yourself. Here it goes. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Even when I've ignored you and gone my own way, I believe in you. And that you died on the cross for me. Please forgive me for all my sins. I commit to following you right now. Thank you for making me a new person inside. Help me grow in my faith and trust in you. Amen. All right, everybody look up. Let's give these people a round of applause that prayed that prayer for the first time. Man, that is awesome. Congratulations. That's exciting. I'm proud of you. That is awesome. Fabulous. All of you. That's great. Now, here's what I want everyone to do. I want everyone to go ahead and pull out your connection card. I want you to hold it right next to your message notes. On the card and on the notes, I want to check the next step or steps you're willing to take today based on how God has inspired you. Here's the first. I commit to make some changes in my life to follow Jesus like others who have gone before me. Now, chances are you know what that decision, what you have to change in your life. I mean, it could be a thousand different things, but you probably already know. Are you willing to make some changes in your life to follow Jesus? These guys are willing to follow him with all their lives, with their whole heart. Would you be willing to do the same and make some changes to do that? Next, sign me up for an upcoming baptism. If you've never been baptized before and you're ready to do that, then check that box. We will email you some baptism dates and you can pick the one that works best for you in your calendar. Now look, if you do that, make sure you've filled out the front of the card and write your email address neatly so that we can read it, okay? Very nice. Here's the next one. Sign me up for the next membership class 101. If you're ready to join this church, check that box. Again, we'll email you information about the next class. And if that doesn't work out for you, we'll email you dates of the next several classes. You just pick which one works best for you. We'll feed you lunch, your family lunch. We'll take care of your kids. It's a great class. 
It, it's on a Sunday afternoon. I teach it along with Pastor Adam, so I'll get to know you a little bit better. You'll get to know me a little bit better. It's a lot of fun. Next. I commit to come, ch- ch- come to church regularly from now on. Make a commitment to come regularly from now on. Did you do it? I prayed to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. If you prayed that prayer just moments ago, check that box. I also want you, on your way out, grab a new believer packet. It's on a little table just before you walk outside of each of these doors. Just snag one of those on your way out today, okay? It's got some great stuff in there, but make sure you fill out the front of the card because I want to mail you some free stuff in the mail this week that'll help you. How about the next one? I will come back for the rest of the Evidence That God Exists series. Four weeks. Would you invest the next month to find out for sure if God is real? I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. Next week, I'm going to, I'm, and next week, I'm going to disprove evolution with a roll of toilet paper. I'm telling you, you are going to be blown away. Let me pray for you as Pat and the worship team come back up. Father, I thank you so much that Easter is so much more than just eggs and bunnies and family and fun and good times, that really, Easter's all about you and about your son and about how your son died for us so that we could have eternal life in heaven. And so I ask that you would help each of us to follow you more closely. Those that already believe that they would follow you like they've never followed you before. And those in this room that prayed for the first time, that you would help them start that journey with excitement. And those that are still on the fence, still haven't taken that step, I ask that you would bring them back and before the end of this series, you would let them to take that step into a new life with you. Love you, Father. We ask you to do all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.